And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 198, presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel and Factor Meals. My name is Connor Ryan, and once again, we are joined by the esteemed Ty Anderson of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Ty, how are you? Connor, what's going on? How are we doing today? I'm doing well, Ty. I'm doing well. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, uh, so right after the Bruins... Uh, tough loss in regulation to the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, we'll obviously later on next week recap uh, this Bruins game against Ottawa tonight, back-to-back, three games in four nights. Tough test for them. And then the the classic 12-30 uh, Saturday game in Philadelphia as well. So uh, we'll have more of those later on this week. But I figured this would be a, a good stretch here, Ty, to talk about obviously that loss to Carolina and maybe just the, the homestand in general. But um Carolina started off pretty slow, had some injuries, starting to heat up a little bit now, and they were more or less, I think, as advertised as the the same team we've seen from them under Rod Brindamore for a long time. And um, Bruins fight back, uh, tie it up in the third period, but come up just short in a 3-2 loss in regulation. Uh, what was kind of your main takeaway from that game? Oh, I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, Carolina is still too good of a team and emphasis on team uh, to to spot them a two goal lead or or to try to win by playing just fifteen to twenty minutes of hockey like like their structure and their system, particularly in the PK, is just still so good that like you have to bring it like you can't just you know and yeah like you know you, you mentioned that they started slow their biggest issue I thought out of the gate was goaltending right like so if that stabilizes. You know, with their defense, with their forwards, like you can't spot them a 2-0 edge, right? No matter if it's at home or in their building. Their building is probably even more disastrous. But I think that was the biggest takeaway that I had from last night was that Carolina's defense uh, um, started rough, I thought. You know, I think they had a great first period. But once they buckle down, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the Carolina team that I'm used to seeing. So still just a really good team. Um, and just too good to to give freebies to the way the Bruins did last night. Yeah, and I think special teams obviously uh, a key determinant in that game. I feel like we all, we all know the strategy for Carolina at this point. They get a lot of shots generated from their blue line, really aggressive on the forecheck, even like their PK is super aggressive, and that gave the Bruins power play some fits. But even you watch like their power play, they're like one of those teams where uh, you think you can kind of telegraph, you know, what the play is going to be in the power play. We know a lot of like the Bruins plays that, you know, half the time they end up like going to Pasternak, but we, we kind of see the play in action as it's happening. Carolina, there's like five or six times a game. You're like, oh, shit. Like all of a sudden, like that guy, that, that seam just opens up that they're able to find those guys. So uh, they're a really well-structured, uh, strong team uh, there in that regard. Um, but you you listen to Jim Montgomery after the game and, Probably, you know, I don't know, it's one of the more critical uh, post-game press conferences, but probably the most candid in terms of... Uh, oh, he was pissed. He was pissed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you look at the way that, that game ended, and we've talked about the kind of the learning curves this roster has had um, this season, but this one's a little bit different. We've had a lot of games where they've held on to late leads, giving them up, losing overtime. This one where it's, you kind of have the momentum on your side, and then one critical lapse kind of does you in, so... Um, again, he said, mentions a learning curve, but still uh, a tough way to lose that game, considering it seems like the Bruins, at the very least, were going to get out of that game with at least a point. Yeah, and you look at it from the standpoint of, like, you're feeling 
a lot better about your week. Not that not that you shouldn't feel good still, but like if you sweep the Colorado, Winnipeg, Carolina test, like you feel really good about your team, especially heading into Ottawa, which can be a scheduled loss. You know, you look at the way Ottawa's been playing of late, and you look at um, second leg of a back to back, always dangerous with travel. So when you're a hundred. 47 seconds away from getting a point after racing a two goal deficit, like you're pissed. And I think that like Jim Montgomery's level of being pissed is different than Bruce Cassie's level of being pissed. Like that is about to your point as candid, which I assume as angry, you know, for lack of a better word, as you're going to see Montgomery. And I think what really bothers him about that was that, the misplay is from a, a veteran leader, a guy that they depend on, a guy that they rely on. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but like their foundational pieces, like it's, it's a foundational piece that, that messes up and, and, you know, ruins a day for them. And, and so that's tough to swallow in, in the immediate aftermath of that, of that game with emotions running high. And, you know, that's a team that you may have to go through in May. If you want to get to where you want to get to, like, that's a team that might be in your way. And, to leave a point, you know, leave two points on the board. Like that is, that is a tough pill to swallow no matter what I think. Yeah. And, and you look at that game um, and the, the guy who jumps up in the play makes it a little read there is, is Hampus Lindholm. And he's a guy that I think expectations were very high going into the year. And it, it's kind of a, a weird season for him in terms of how you grade it, how you, you know, map out his career and whether like, is he just on two different ends of two extremes, right? Where I think last year, you look at how great he was. He finished, what, third in the Norris voting. I think that was him overachieving, especially offensively uh, in terms of how they even kind of deployed him out there. But, um, you know, he's been prone to some lapses uh, here this season as well. And again, you can look at like how he's used defensively, uh, the taxing minutes he has, but uh, how do you kind of sum up just the year that Lindholm has had? I, I think it's fair to say it's been a step back, but how sustainable was like last year and how you weigh that against what the Bruins should expect from a guy like him in the top four? Yeah, well, first of all, just working backwards here, going back to last night, I hated that pinch. When, yeah. the, more I, the more I watch it, the more I hate it because not only is it just a bad, you know, ill-timed pinch, but watch how he goes in. He goes in with one hand on his stick, you know, just kind of just kind of gliding. Even if he gets the puck, he has one hand on his stick. He's in no position to shoot it, to roof it, to pass it. Like, he's in no man's land. Even if it hits his stick and he, he keeps possession in the Carolina end, that play is dying on his blade. There's nothing to be done on that play, at least in my opinion. Maybe he sees it differently than I do, but watching it, Again and again and again. I don't see what's going to happen out of that play that's a positive for the Bruins. So maybe that adds to the frustration that Jim Montgomery has. But looking at, you know, the overall picture here, was he a 60-point guy? You know, like, is that a fair question to ask? Like, was he just, was he just having, like many guys, having a great year? I think that he's a 40-point guy. You know, I think he's a 40-point plus 15 you know, plus 20 on a really good year, given his deployment. He's probably not a 60 point plus 50 guy. Few players are right. And so his season, in my opinion, has been like a tale of two halves. But the problem is that 
when when it looks bad, it looks bad, right? Yeah. And you still see some of those games in there, but the productivity's been on the rise of late. You know, he gets an assist last night, and he has, I think, 11 in his last 13 games. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty good number. That's kind of what you were hoping at the beginning of the year. So, but for me, when it looks bad, it looks bad. And two, the penalties. Like, he has yeah. taken so many penalties, so many stick infractions this year, so many bad interference penalties. Like, like those two things have been haunting him. You know what I mean? It's like you, yeah. you keep hitting this point where you want to go, oh, he's back. And then just like the worst play you've seen happens, and you're like, oh, he's not back. Like, it, it, it's just a really weird year in that regard, I think. Yeah, it's almost tough when you even look at the eye test because I think, again, even if you want to toss out how consistently great he was kind of in all aspects of the game last year, I mean, guy, guy was money the entire season. You've seen spurts of that this year where he's had a game where he has an assist or two. He's getting a puck on net. He's being, I think, the thing that sounds to me is he's just when he's really assertive with the puck. He's making sound decisions, not doing anything too crazy, but it's just kind of one key kind of cog in the piece of how they move the puck and play Jim Montgomery's system. That's kind of been few and far between. But as you said, there's been games like that or two or three in a row where you're like, all right, like, again, I think we've all accepted last year maybe is the outlier year. Maybe it's the year that he overachieved, but there's still a damn good top four guy out there. That's not to say that he's been a net negative this year by any means. He still brings a lot of value, but I think that assertiveness and that consistency in playing that game has kind of been what's been the, the biggest issue with him so far this season. Because again, it's still there. Unless like that foot injury was like his legitimate Achilles heel and it just has sapped the power away from him. Like there's still, you know, this spurts there where he's still an impact defenseman in kind of all three zones. Yeah, and you know, something I wonder about, and I'm curious what you think about this too, because like we just see him every game. We watch him closely every game. I do wonder if there's a uh, there's an element here of like overexposure or just overworked. Um, you look at his deployment, like not only are they hard minutes, but I think he has almost 200 more minutes than the next closest Bruins player. Now, of course, there's been injuries. You know, like McAvoy's missed time. He's been suspended and injured. Carlo's been injured. Forbert's been injured. Uh, Matt Grizzlick's been injured. So, like, he's going to have that natural kind of gap in terms of, like, his his minutes and his usage. But, you know, he has been just logging minute after minute after minute. And part of me wonders if, like, there's an element here of, like, overexposure. You know, I uh, just looked it up really quickly here. All situation, he's at uh, 1,118 and a half minutes. That is the 15th most in hockey right now. Um, and so I just wonder, again, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well, but like, I just wonder just how taxing and, 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 you know, are they overexposing him to a certain degree as well? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where he has that profile of being a workhorse, but those things add up when you look at just how much he played last year, how much it's factoring in this year. And as you said, like with the injuries, whether it's, uh, whatever you can do, again, he's a guy that we saw last year how good he was with Carlo in those kind of taxing minutes as kind of the team's de facto shutdown deep pairing. But just because, you know, they've excelled in that doesn't mean you can't, you know, carve out, you know, more reps or allocate them uh, in a better fashion. Again, that really hasn't been the case this year. A lot of it out of Jim Montgomery's control. We can talk about the forwards and how they're using younger players or, you know, you shouldn't be playing guys like Zaka, 18, 19, 20 minutes a night, what have you. Like, that's a different discussion. But um, for a guy like Lindholm, who has consistently logged 20-plus minutes, um, 
just those added reps, those nights where it's 25, 26, 27, where he's getting, you know, he has to step in on the PK because the guy like Forbert's been injured. I think that's been a, a big domino effect. And um, Forbert hasn't really been super strong since coming back from this injury, um, which again, is to be expected for a guy who's coming off LTIR. But, you know, even though that PK is still kind of stood tall with him out there, just having him out there eating up those minutes, those those shifts where you're spent defending, you're blocking shots. Um, the fact that it has to be allocated to other guys further up the lineup, those little things add up, even if maybe the end result isn't, you know, a dip in your performance or your key case. So I think you're kind of right on the money in terms of that. That is something that, um, again, small little things here and there can go a long way towards really overexerting a pretty sturdy, dependable player. Yeah, where do you think he ranks? If you had that number I just gave you, right, where he, yeah. where he has 1,100 minutes. Um, this is all defensemen who have played a game this year. Uh, where do you think he ranks in terms of defensive zone faceoffs? Jesus, D zone faceoffs. Uh... Yeah, just just how many? Like, uh, like where does he rank in terms of the total sheer number of D zone faceoffs this year? I mean, I feel like he's going to be like in the the top ten percentage of the that amount, right? Like, what what, what exactly is it? He is at 496, which is the third most in the in the league right now among defensemen. Only Colton Pareko and Jamie Oleksiak have, have had more. And the number one spot, Lindholm's only behind him by 22 faceoffs. Like, yeah. So just extremely high defensive zone usage. And, and when that's the case, you're not going to look as good as you can, in my opinion, over the course of an 82-game season. I think one of the one of the greatest things here of late and it kind of goes hand in hand you know Wednesday night notwithstanding notwithstanding like they have found a way to incorporate him more offensively and I think you're seeing his numbers kind of return to last year because he's not getting that incredibly difficult assignment for a full 60 minutes they are finding ways to incorporate him offensively but to your point what you just alluded to there with with Forbert and even Grizzly like their left side has been very unstable this year and yeah. you know it, 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 listen hand up i i didn't have you know getting multiple tweets uh per game from people saying where is parker watherspoon you know back back in october didn't see that one coming no uh but a it's coming and b they kind of have a point it's been kind of wild that speaks to how unstable that left side has been so but that begins with lindholm like he is the rock back there he is the guy that you know, two years later, made you okay with moving on from Chara, which you were going to have to at some point anyways, and Tory Krug, like, because he could do it all, right? And so mm-hmm. you just want to see him get a little bit more, you know, a little bit more oomph in his game, but that's the case for everybody on, the, on that left side right now. It doesn't seem like a very stable spot for them. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely something worth watching as the season kind of goes on here because you need Lindon playing, obviously, at a very high level, especially once you get to March and April. All right, Ty, before we kind of dive a little bit more into this uh, loss against the Carolina Hurricanes, let's take a quick break and hear from our good friends over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, including live same-game parlays, finding bets in the new Explore tab, 
or making a parlay in the Parlay Hub. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, is that you can bet on anything. You want to wager on how many points Jason Tatum is going to drop that night? Be my guest. Maybe which team is going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy next month? Go for it. You can really do it all. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Once again, a shout out to our good friends over at FanDuel. All right, Ty, uh, we kind of mentioned it earlier on in the show about Carolina and the fact that they more or less have once again been as advertised as, uh, you know, the team we've seen for years now. Uh, I think Jim Montgomery called them a a hornet's nest uh, before uh, Wednesday's game. Very accurate. But when you look at just the landscape of the East, and it does seem like this year in particular, there's not really one juggernaut, you know, uh, team to beat, especially, you know, maybe in the entire NHL, but just looking at the East, other than, you know, the Bruins who are obviously still sitting atop, do you think Carolina's their biggest threat in the East or is there another team that kind of stands out? Yeah. You know, I actually think their biggest threat is Florida. And, and yeah. I say that because that team is just, they're clicking right now. They're getting some major offensive contributions from Sam Reinhart. Matthew Kachuk is turning it on again. Uh, second half, Matt. <laughs> is just firing it up again. Uh, their goaltending is in a much better spot, it feels, than a year ago between uh, Bobrovsky's playing better. Um, you know, Spencer Knight is obviously the wild card, but then you have um, uh, the new backup, which plays Alex Lyon, uh, Anthony uh, Stolarz. Stolarz, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's been solid, you know, when called upon. I've caught a few of his starts. Um but I just think that, you know, that's a team that, you know, and, and the other thing, too, is that I don't think Brandon Montour has really taken flight. You know, we're talking about Hampus Lindholm and, and him returning to a level that he had last year. Brandon Montour is basically that guy for Florida right now where you look at his numbers and you're like, OK, he's got another gear. Like, he's got another level to hit. And when he does, you know, look out. Um, You know, when it comes to Carolina, like, I do wonder if, you know, that that division is going to be the new Atlantic in terms of, you know, they're going to eat each other alive. And then whoever gets out of there is going to be a, a absolutely battered mess by the third round, right? You look at who's in there right now. You have New York. who They're great. That the Rangers, you have uh, the Carolina hurricanes. You also have two teams that are going to play a nasty game when they're on Philadelphia yeah. and the Islanders. And then you have the devils as well. But like, Look at those first four. Those are that's iron. That's iron on iron. And though that division may just be beat up by the end of it. Like that's a that's a legit thing that could happen. And that could play to the benefit of the Boston Bruins, which is why I think that, you know, should the Bruins advance out of the first round and play Florida, like that might be their toughest test between, you know, rounds one, two, and three in the Eastern Conference. 
Yeah, especially when you look at, you know, the team like the Maple Leafs who have evident flaws. We know their strengths. It's been it's kind of like Carolina except the inverse. We know we know what Toronto's going to bring. We know their strengths, but we sure as shit also know their weaknesses. Um, you look at some of these other teams, the Atlantic, for as much people thought that this was going to be, I guess for years now, that a lot of these other teams that have been kind of cellar dwellers were, were taking a big step forward. Hasn't been the case. Tampa still extremely top-heavy, but don't want to discount what uh, a guy like Vasilevsky or Kucherov or all those guys can do over a best, uh, you know, a seven game series. Um, scares the piss out of me. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not going to lie. Vasilevsky more than anybody else scares the hell out of me because he just has that ability, man. And yeah, he can be cooked. Sure. But he's also a guy that for a while there was like basically untouchable in, in elimination games. Like, that's a mental thing as much as it's a physical thing, and that terrifies me if, if I'm a team going against him. Yeah, I feel like that's a team you play where all of a sudden, like, let's say Tampa like drops a little bit, gets in a, a wild card team. First game, like game one, you got the momentum, you're feeling good, and then all of a sudden, Vasilevsky has a 41 save shutout. You're like, whoop, all right, fuck. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that's, that can absolutely happen. When you look, And also a team that has won quite a bit, knows how to win, um, even with the fact that their depth has been really depleted, um, can still rely on their big guns more or less, and that it can be more than enough to get you four playoff wins in a series. So Tampa, I think, is definitely scary, but I agree with you that probably Florida is the most uh, imposing team to the Bruins and pretty, pretty, pretty much everyone else, right? Because we know Carolina, we know what they're good at, but like Florida almost just has more firepower behind that same strategy like super aggressive on the forecheck but they have guys that can drop you to the ice every single game they've got guys like a chuck lomberg uh a lot more offensive firepower i think across the lineup especially as you said montour who has probably haunted bruins fans for the past year um he still hasn't hit his stride yet so again they play a very similar style i would say but i think when you look at just the overall talent level of florida across the lineup and again like bobrovsky wasn't good last year in the regular season. Got right at the right time. I think he's having a good year. I'll take Bobrovsky at this stage of his career over Spencer Martin or, you know, whoever that Carolina is going to trot out there. Because when Bobrovsky, even at his age, is still on, again, he doesn't have to be Vesna winner Bobrovsky, but uh, he can bail you out of a couple of high-scoring games, especially if your forwards on Florida can do a lot of damage on the other end of the ice. Yeah, and also, you know, if we're doing a – if we're doing a side by side between Florida and Carolina, you know, let's look beyond. Let's look at the big guns first, right? You're talking about Barkov and Kachuk and and Reinhardt compared to Aho Svechnikov when he's healthy and available, and then Taravainen, you know, yeah. uh, Marty Natchez. Like, 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 what is their big three? The fact that we don't know who their number three is gives gives florida a natural advantage there right and then you kind of looked up and down the roster like i'm more afraid of a carter verhage or a sam bennett or uh even an anton lundell getting hot than i am say a uh just perry cock in the emmy or or michael bunting or uh seth jarvis for that matter like like i just look at i look at that roster that they have uh in in uh florida and i'm just like they got they got some weapons like they yeah. <laughs> they got some serious firepower and the two-way know-how you know i i think between barkov and his prime 
And Lundell, I think, is a very underrated two-way player. Uh, I think they got something cooking there. So, so I, that's still a team I don't want to play. Uh, you, you know, if they're still playing the way they are, you know, you know, in the playoffs. But um, it's interesting, though, right? Because the Bruins have beat the Florida Panthers, and it wasn't pretty, but they got it done, right? It's it's almost like last night felt like a Florida Panthers game at certain points. Yeah. Like the Bruins couldn't get shots on goal. They couldn't get great A's, but they were in it. The only thing they missed was the goal, like the goal that wins them the game. So it's really interesting, but I think it speaks to the greater overall point. And and I and I'd love to know your opinion on this. I think the East is as open as it's probably ever been in the yeah. last, I would say, half decade. It just feels like it's a wide open race right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's even like you look at the fact that there's not obviously a Bruins team, you know, rewriting the record books or anything like that, but if you were to tell me, like, I'd probably say, like, if you're putting in tiers of teams, like, the way Bruins are playing right now, they're in, like, a tier probably with Florida. Um, you look at, you know, even teams that are on the fringes, though, like, would not be surprised at all if uh, Florida gets bounced by a team. Like, Toronto can get hot. You never know, like, what happens there. They win that game uh, against Winnipeg where Sansonov looks great. Again, it's why I think we love hockey and why it's also very frustrating in terms of investing so heavily into a season, a lot of shit can happen. A lot of shit can go haywire. A lot of stuff can go against the grain over the course of a year. When you look at, again, Vasilevsky gets hot. Kucherov goes on a heater. Uh, you know, Toronto, they, they tighten things down and their, their established talent kind of takes over. Even like, hell, maybe the Islanders get a bump from Patrick Waugh, you know, a psycho Patrick Waugh, and they bore other teams to death as they always do. Like, again, they're not really a fun product, but they can grind their way to a series win or two, right? If they kind of get rolling there. We haven't, you know, we, we mentioned it before, but the New York Rangers, they've got guys that are pretty physical. They've got high end talent. Shesterkin, um, when he's on, it's one of the best in the league. So again, you've got, you know, they always talk about how parity is across the NHL, but you've got a lot of teams that if you wanted to make a pretty legitimate argument as to why the, the team, again, maybe not overarching stanley cup contenders but you want to talk about any of those teams as to like yeah they can win a round or two without a doubt i'd I'd be all in like that that's kind of just the way it is so fascinating to see how it plays out and also i think fascinating to see how teams approach the trade deadline because we 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 harp we harped on this before ty but um the fact there's not a whole lot of really appealing you know guys out there coupled with the fact that everyone's kind of in this stalemate as to you know there's not a lot of separation between these teams that are in the playoff mix very curious to see how that all kind of plays out as to how teams approach this to maybe put themselves over the top in the second half here yeah and, and you know to, to to your point like there's not a greater variance in, in sports in my opinion than the stanley cup playoffs like like all it takes is one injury one deflating overtime loss and all of a sudden you know, that that four-round favorite is now on their heels. And do they have the ability to adapt and adjust within 72 hours, 48, out, 48 hours, you know, 106 hours, like whatever the case may be, like that's a legit issue for some teams. I thought it was an issue for the Bruins a year ago. You know, like when they got popped in the mouth, I would say around probably, probably game five, you know, yeah. when, when they got popped, it was like, Okay, shit. The season is going to be decided in the next seventy-two hours. Do do are we ready for that? And, and I think that was a legit question that they had in that room. And and 
you know, and it's funny, like I just said, you know, it's as wide open as it's ever been. You know, even last year, the Bruins were setting records, sure, but what were, where was their greatest question mark? It was in net. Mm-hmm. As good as Elmark and Swayman were, they 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 hadn't done it to that point. Elmark had two games, Swayman had five or five or six. You know, if you include the the relief appearance against Islanders in 2021, like, and, and so it's interesting that like even the favorite, oh, every favorite you know, in the NHL has a fatal flaw. Every single favorite who's ever existed has a fatal flaw, and it's the same case for every team that we're looking at right now. That they all have fatal flaws, and so, you know, you, you name me a team, I'll tell you their fatal flaw. Florida, we just we just wax poetic about how great they are. Yeah, well, you know, they've had a lot of great contributions from OEL this year. A, who saw that coming? B, is that going to happen for four rounds? All right. Do we do we know that? You know, like, so every team that you look at, they need something. They need this or they need that to go their way. So it's really interesting as a fan. It, it only adds more variables on top of a, a playoff format that has 100 million of them already. Yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of how it all plays out uh, leading down the stretch here. Uh, Ty, before we kind of wrap this pod up, let's take another quick break. Listen to our good friends over at Factor Meals. Once again, shout out to our good friends over at Factor Meals. All right, Ty, might as well end this podcast with a little bit of uh, looking ahead at the roster. Looking uh, Again, we've talked about this before that I don't think the Bruins are going to be super aggressive uh, in terms of the trade deadline, but could they add someone maybe uh, overseas? Uh, you wrote a story on 98.5 The Sports Hub about the Bruins' interest in a player from the KHL, Maxim Saipalov. I probably butchered that, but let's call him Max, right? So my understanding, and I could be totally wrong here, yes. is Siplikov. Siplikov. That sounds a Siplikov. lot more legit. That sounds a lot more uh, legitimate. I'll call him Max. Um, yes. Yeah. Call him Max Keebler for all I care. I don't. Yes. Know. So Matt, the Bruins are interested in signing Max Keebler, uh, yes. a shifty uh, forward. What What have you heard about our good friend Max, and in terms of why he might be a good fit for the Bruins? Yeah, so it's a guy who, first of all, he's 25 years old, so he's not like, you know, a 35-year-old who wants to come over and try the NHL at the end of his career. Uh, so you're entering your prime in terms of, you know, where you're getting him. Uh, six foot three, can play left wing, can play right wing, has a really heavy shot. Uh, he's also a pretty physical player, you know, as far as KHL players go. Uh, he plays all situations, power play, PK, even strength. Uh, really kind of coming into his own. He's a left shot, but again, can play left, can play right, even dabbles in center a, a little bit from from what I've seen. Um, just a just a really interesting project, interesting player. Um, and so funny, just going back to his pronunciation real quick. There are certain letters in the Russian language that we simply don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you've seen these letters, but yep. it also comes back to pronunciation. Uh, that T. That T in the beginning and that S, like that is like, from my understanding, we just don't have that. We don't have an equivalent of that uh, in our language. So it'd be really funny to see how people say his name uh, if he were to choose Boston. Um, But just a guy that, you know, like another example of a player that you basically, like this is who you are now. You've traded so many first round picks, so many second round picks, so many picks in general. 
and your prospect pool isn't considered the best in the league, like you kind of have to unearth every rock and say, oh, hey, is anything good under here? You know, like you are you are Pumba, you are Timon and Pumba right now looking for bugs under rocks. And, and so this guy, you know, six us, uh, I think the sixth highest scorer in the in the KHL in terms of goals. Um, he's top twenty in points, like. That's a risk that you take, or or a flyer you flyer you take if you're the Boston Bruins because you simply have to right now. Yeah, and again, it kind of falls in line with just the Bruins being creative. We've seen this for years now. Again, Bruins are not usually ones scouring the KHL. Haven't usually brought in a lot of Russians. Orlov was the the first one in years. It felt like right. Um, trying to think who even was the last Russian player. Was it Koklachev? It was uh, Koklachev. I mean, you can count Hudobin, but he's born in Kazakhstan, so yeah, maybe, maybe not quite. Yeah, so I mean, uh, they got they yes. got Merkulov now, but other than that, really, it's been a, a bit of a drought there. But we we've talked about this before, right? Where you look at their cap situation, you look at the fact that they can't be trading, uh, you know, more future draft assets. So we've talked on this spot about a whole bunch of things. We've talked about college free agents. We've talked about. Um, them signing like veteran guys for league minimum. You know, we had like the the Wayne Simmons discussion. We talked about all these players that you could sign for cheap. Um, they may not, you know, stand out. They may not be as flashy as trading for a proven top six guy, not even a guy like Lindholm or, you know, Elias Lindholm. We're talking about uh, the equivalent of like a Marcus Johansson, someone like that. Like that, that just isn't going to be in the cards for this team this year. So whether it's signing a college free agent, um, which they've done, Plenty of times before, it's usually yielded really strong results for this team. Um, when you look at the the KHL and and what our, our good friend Max uh, could bring to this team, there's a lot to like about you know the value there. And again, if you already have a, a pretty strong team right now, you have a lot of guys, especially if you sign him and he's uh, a middle six guy. Um, you know whether it's for this the tail end of this year or in the years ahead, even if he doesn't pan out. You're just giving yourself more options here. That's why the Bruins look at guys like college free agents, where they look at, you know, guys that are available that, you know, if they pan out, you'll take it. Like, I don't think you're expecting to find the next Panarin or something like that. Um, if it if that is the case, that's great. But even if it ends up being a solid, you know, middle six player uh, that you can sign for a cheap value, it's kind of what you have to do if you're the Bruins right now. Like, you you kind of built uh, this scenario, you kind of stuck yourself in. You've been dealt this hand off of, continuing to invest in win now moves so you gotta kind of have to roll with the punches and it's for the brand it's all about how you can kind of maneuver over the stretch here as you will wait for one more draft picks to come through and also wait for the cap to kind of jump up yeah and with these kind of players it's always interesting too because like what you can really do here is like you know if it works out it's great it's found money if it doesn't these players typically want their contracts terminated to go back home and so you're not really tied in for for huge money for multiple years. Like this is a a you take a flyer that works, awesome. If it doesn't, okay, you know you, you scrub your hands and you go all right right back to the drawing board. But you know he's an example of the greater picture. You know, like I was saying, like you mentioned Merkulov, like that's an example of your scouting working overdrive to find somebody who can really help your team. Um, you know, John Farinacci, another example of that, like you hope that he can eventually make it here as well. Like, like, like they have to take these chances and they have to hit on those guys. So, you know, I, I think that this would be a good move in that respect. And at best case scenario, he's called sort of, he's called Soderberg. 
Uh, worst case, he's in the Kita Gusev, and you know you never hear from him again after ten games or or one season or whatever. So, uh, I I think these kind of moves are are pretty low risk, uh, and so it's one that I'd really kind of follow. KHL season, uh, ends, uh, February twenty sixth. Uh, his team Spartak Moscow was already qualified for the playoffs, so he likely will not be available to be signed before the NHL trade deadline. Uh, but again, just something worth watching between now and the end of the season. Just another guy that added a list of players that they could be interested in. Absolutely. Uh, definitely something to keep tabs on here uh, over the second half of the season. All right, Ty, uh, before we let you go, uh, where can we find all of your work? Uh, you can find me at 985thesportsub.com. Uh, you can listen to me on this podcast, uh, as well as uh, the Sports Hub Underground, myself and Matt Dolliff. Uh, and yeah, find me on Twitter X at underscore Ty Anderson. How about yourself? Yes. You can find all of my stuff over at boston.com where we'll have game recaps features have one about, uh, Yaka Blauco that just dropped today. Um, so please read that over there. Great guy to talk to Loco. Easy guy to root for. Um, we have, you know, breakdowns. We look ahead at the trick deadline, all that stuff you can find over at boston.com. And you can uh, find me on Twitter, X, whatever it is, at ConnorRyan underscore 93. So uh, once again, this is episode 198 of Poke the Bear. I'm Connor Ryan. That's Ty Anderson. You guys have a great rest of your week. <laughs>